Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intercasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, it'll take 30 seconds of your time, and it is just a huge promotion for us. So please go give us a great rating on iTunes. Today's five-star review comes from the one and only J. Colt Kelly. J. Colt Kelly's review is entitled, Your Go-To Source for the Latest D&D News. J. Colt Kelly says... If you want to know what's going on in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, look no further than this podcast. James doesn't cower in his Nana's basement. He's a road warrior attending conventions coast to coast. He's hunting down the big names in the industry and getting the scoop on their latest projects. He's got an upbeat attitude and a solid radio voice, and you can tell his guests are enjoying themselves. As a DM, I am constantly stealing ideas from James's worldbuilderblog.me blog, so it's no surprise he recently took home an any at Gen Con. If you play or design RPGs, you should be listening to this podcast. Jake Holt Kelly, thank you so much for this review. This was uh, amazing, and I am not sure I am totally worthy of these words, uh, but I appreciate them all the same, uh, and it means a lot to me that you are listening and you are reading the blog. Uh, We still need more five-star reviews, so head on over to iTunes or the Podcatcher application of your choice and leave us a great review or favorite or follow or whatever it is that you do, and we could read your review on air. Keep it clean, people. Remember, this is a family D&D news podcast. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. It's really easy. Just go to thetomeshow.com and then click on the banner in the show notes for this episode or any other and shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have D&D, other tabletop RPGs, tons of products that you can check out there. It's all at a discounted price, and they'll buy your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is the Paizo Flip Mat for Bigger Dungeon. Uh, These flip mats are super duper handy. Uh, They're great to keep in your back pocket. Uh, This one retails for $17.95. That's about two bucks off the the price if you were to buy it anywhere else. Noble Knight has that discounted price. Uh, Instead of playing an ad from Noble Knight, because I know people feel like, man, the ads are kind of played out. We hear them a lot. I understand. Uh, So this week uh, and in weeks to follow, we actually have celebrity endorsements instead. Uh, So with me right now is Snurg, the Goblin King. Uh, Snurg is is going to talk to you a little bit about NobleKnight.com. Ah, hey, it's me, Snurg. I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. 
Okay, everybody, today we are talking about Dungeon Master tools that could help you with your game. And then we've got an interview with Lone Wolf Development about some exciting Hero Lab announcements. But first, let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get to know you question. What edition and level of D&D is your favorite to DM? With me today at the roundtable is the one and only Topher Cohen. Topher? So it's coming to no surprise if you've ever heard me on this podcast <laughs> that my favorite edition is fourth edition. Mm -hmm. I will now pause to allow people in their cars to scream violently at their <laughs> phone and tell me what an idiot I am. And if I wanted to play a video game, I should play WoW. Okay, now you get to that out of your system. I love 4th edition, and I think the sweet spot in 4th edition is right around a level 11, a 10 to 15, somewhere in there. But I think level 11 is when the players really come in their own. They get some great powers. They um, can, as a DM, you don't have to quite tiptoe as much. And I think that's the perfect sweet spot in 4th edition, and that's where I, I love DMing. Gotcha. Now, I'm going to ask a follow-up question here, Topher. Are sure. you an essentials guy when it comes to 4E, or uh, do you prefer, like, the original 4E flavor? I'm an essentials guy. I think essentials, they, they made some great fixes, and I think it um, worked well, and it corrected a lot of the problems. And um, if I'm going to run a 4E game, it's going to be out of the essentials. Yeah, I think uh, I think if Essentials had dropped at launch, a lot of people would have been happier uh, with it. Uh, we turn now to Joe Listowski. Joe, welcome back to the roundtable. Uh, what is your favorite edition and level of D&D to Dungeon Master? All right, well, I, uh, I also love 4th edition. Uh, the whole thing to Dungeon Master, just because so much of it was designed... Uh, to make Dungeon Master's jobs easier. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to say that uh, in 3rd edition I could spend 4 hours uh, working on my game and have a dragon built, and in 4th edition I could spend 4 hours working on a game and have 2 or 3 uh, dungeons built. Uh, just because all of the tools and everything made it really easy, and the balance, the, the forced balance uh, was really good on the DM side. Uh, but I think my favorite level was actually level 1 mm. uh, in edition and I, I agree with Topher I love 11 because that's when you get your Paragon class that's when you get to do the, the cool thing that makes you the awesomest person on the continent in whatever class you're in uh, but uh, I like level 1 just because you felt like a hero and, and convincing players that you know it's okay to take that risk you're a hero you can do this look at all these cool powers you've got look at all these hit points you've got look at all these you have options you have things you can do and that was a really Sort of, I got a lot of people excited about D and D because of that, uh, as opposed to some other editions that uh, where first level is is very deadly. The uh, first level in, uh, <laughs> in that felt very heroic to me. So I, I loved playing and DMing that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it's great to have you guys on. We're talking uh, about dungeon mastering today, and uh, I know that both of you love 4th edition, as many of our, our listeners out there know. Uh, I myself really enjoyed playing 4th edition, so it'll be great to talk more about that uh, And as it pertains to today's topic. Uh, with us today also is Allison Rossi. Allison, welcome back to the roundtable. It's lovely to have you here. Yeah, it's been a been a while, like a month or two or something. I don't remember the last time it was, but uh, yeah. So I guess uh, my favorite edition to run has been 5e. I did briefly run a few like one shots for 3.5, but 
but it was just overly complex for me, even though I was also actively playing it. Uh, so, so far, 5e gets my win there for favorite edition to run. Uh, favorite levels, so far, just because of the size of my groups, my groups tend to be uh, <laughs> five to nine players, depending on the night. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. I I really like levels kind of like four through six. I feel like that's the sweet spot where it's still easy for me to kind of balance it to give them some of a challenge, um, but it's obviously still a difficulty. But like if I had a small, normal-sized table of probably four players, I'd say like levels nine through 11 would be my ideal, uh, you know, level group to run through. So so yeah, really depending on the size of my group is where I really enjoy the uh, the levels to run. Nice, nice. I like that a lot. Uh, well, it's great to have you here as well and your Dungeon Master expertise. Uh, you've run for huge groups. You run in organized yes. play. You play 3.5 all the time. Uh, so it's it's awesome to have you here. And uh, also with us today is the lovely, bearded Neil Powell. Neil, welcome back. Uh, what is your favorite uh, level of D&D to Dungeon Master, and what is your favorite edition? Uh, I think it's probably, for me, nostalgia. So I like level 5 in 3.5, because that's <laughs> kind of when you get into like what the character can really do. That's when you're starting to get the third level spells, so everyone just feels a lot cooler. Before that, you're just like, okay, cool. I hope I killed enough to level up and get something that I can actually do. So <laughs> for me, it is, yeah, 3.5 round level 5. Like that 4 to 6 range, kind of like Allison <laughs> had mentioned. There, There is something about that uh, fifth level or those third level spells that I think in 3.5 and now in fifth sort of define a new tier of the game and i think you're right um it's it's those spells the fireball spell the fly spell really changes the game in a lot of ways for magic users it's also in those editions where we see the fightery types get extra attacks and things like that so um it's it's pretty cool i uh i like that level that i'm, I'm with you guys i like kind of that uh fifth to tenth range uh, i think is is really really fun uh for characters because they're not quite gods yet but they're feeling strong and everything uh and i agree with joe about fourth edition i really like the first levels of fourth edition because you're already kind of a superhero and and better than the average person as as a hero often is in stories uh so why don't we dive right in uh we're going to talk about two things one is there was the D&D survey this week um, that was all about Dungeon Master tools, and it was really tailored to Dungeon Masters. What do you use at the table? Are you using minis? Are you using a grid? Are you using Dwarven Forge? What would you like to see wizards put out? What would you buy if we put it out? That kind of thing. Really, really awesome stuff. And then Mike Merles tweeted out, uh, if you're a Dungeon Master or a player and you're not currently running a D&D game, what can we do to better support you? Which I uh, I went ahead and answered, even though I am running a game, uh, I think a lot of people uh, may have jumped on that to say like, oh, these are the things we want. This is what we want to see. This is what we want. Um, so we're going to talk about what we as people who run games want to see. Uh, Neil, I actually want to start with you because you are currently running a Pathfinder game. Uh, and I'm wondering, what would it take to get you to run a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons campaign? A TPK? Uh, <laughs> <from the party. laughs> That'd probably be the quickest way. I don't um, think your players want that. 
Well, is, you never know. <laughs> is that just you've been running Pathfinder for a while and you, when this campaign ends, you might switch over? Is that what you're saying? Or uh, Yeah, or- because I, so, I mean, some people may know if they've listened to me on other podcasts. I have my players currently in the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon and the <laughs> logistics of converting that, like I've kind of looked into it. Not going to happen. Like, <laughs> I, I just don't have the time to invest to do that. So it'll kind of be up to my players once they're done with this. If they want to keep going with these characters, then I'll stay. If not, then we'll most likely move. Cool. So there's not any real product or support that's holding you back from 5th edition at the moment then? Uh, I mean, kind of. Because some of the support that I can get from Pathfinder makes it easier to stay there than jump over. But, gotcha. Um, so what kind of things, as far as, like, from a DM perspective, obviously players have tons and tons of options uh, within Pathfinder, even if you're just sticking to what has been officially put out by Paizo. What sort of things are there uh, as a DM that you feel like maybe are lacking at the moment in 5th edition D&D? For me, like, I almost exclusively use my iPad to run the game because I can jump onto d20pfsrd.com. Yep. and look up almost anything that I would need on the fly fairly easy. And I know we're getting closer to that um, okay. with the 5e SRD, but um, there's just so much more content available that my players also don't necessarily need to buy or do anything. Like Most of the table essentially has that website open, ready to go. Gotcha. Yeah, and there is there's tons and tons of stuff that that Paizo has put out in their SRD, and I don't think the you're going to see the Wizards SRD get much bigger than it already is. And I also think like even if you wanted to pay for that content, it's hard to have in electronic form on your iPad, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah especially that's that robust that would essentially be able to link through multiple documents. I mean, because you're going to need to link through the big three, and you're undoubtedly going to drop another 150 to get those, if not more, the, yeah. on a level that would properly link to each other. Yeah, that's my big thing. I would love to see some sort of electronic book or or big service that sort of links through everything the way that uh, the Pathfinder SRD does. Um, you know, I think that that would be amazing. Uh, Allison, what about you? You run tables for enormous groups, as we know. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> what products do you think would make your DMing life easier? So I think um, something that would be helpful in terms of, especially like when I was a newer DM, um, maybe tutorials for new dungeon masters would be extremely helpful uh, in terms of like perhaps even doing a video of, you know, getting Mike Morales or someone to sit down and go, hey, here's the basics of being a dungeon master and here's how you handle these different situations at your table. So I think that would be uh, kind of beneficial and would be very low cost for wizards to do. It's just kind of writing up what would be the topic of each short little tutorial. Um, another thing I'd like to see is more miniatures that are a little bit, uh, I guess, less pricey. So it could either be, you know, paper, cardboard, tokens, whatever it may be, but something else, um, because miniatures are very expensive. And I'm very lucky and I'm fortunate that some of my players do give me miniatures for free. And I've had friends give me miniatures and I was able to get some at Gen Con last year, but they're still really expensive. And obviously, you know, half the time I'm, you know, if I have a, uh, a mind flayer, you know, I might have to use something else to take the place of that on the table because I don't have an actual mind flayer miniature. So um, just something else that's cheaper that allows me to still show my players uh, what they're they're facing. 
I like Dwarven Forge tiles, but they're also very expensive. So perhaps something like that would also be awesome to have. So a couple of just different things, more physical props to help us as DMs and tutorials are kind of the main things that I think would be really beneficial to new and old DMs. Totally. Topher. All right. So my question is then, can I, if I could ask a follow-up question? Of course. Is there a reason you can't use or wouldn't use the Pathfinder product, the, the POGs, the flat minis that Pathfinder has, which are really cheap and really um, inexpensive. So that's play 5EV. Um, I, I mean, actually, I know there's certain monsters you can't get that way, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually had a player that did bring those to the table, and I did like those. However, at the same time, I have nothing against Paizo as a company or Pathfinder. I have played Pathfinder myself. But I would actually prefer to support Wizards of the Coast. So I would like to see Wizards produce something like that so I could buy it directly from them. So again, I totally use Paizo products. That's fine. But if I can, I like to support Wizards as a company. Are you worried that Wizards isn't making enough money off of us? Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, I don't think so. I am a little bit sad about the, the budget for Gen Con being gone and them not being there. Maybe my, my POG budget uh, could help send them to Gen Con again, but uh, <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. I just, when I kind of support a company, I tend to support them through and through. And that means, you know, when I buy new products, I try and get them from them directly mm -hmm. uh, and then go elsewhere if I have to. Yeah, I the uh, Cobalt Press. I just got my copy of the Tome of Beast that I kickstarted, and they have a bunch of those stand-up cardboard uh, oh, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are are really really fun and cool to get. And I actually tutorials I think would be great. There's tons of tutorials online that you can see if somebody walking you through or whatever. But how great would it be to see like Chris Perkins or Mike Merles or Jeremy Crawford in a YouTube video being like. All right, here's a quick half hour on how you can play D&D. Boom, just yes, an official... I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, Joe? Um, building off of what Allison said about uh, having official Wizards versions of the different products to sell, uh, I work in a retail store that sells all sorts of gaming products, and that would also help the retail side as well. Uh, one of the problems we run into running long-term games in the store is that after a while, people aren't buying anything else because they've got their core books and that's it. So if... if there were additional products out there that were available that were enticing. I think uh, that would help out uh, your local gaming store as well. Nice. Yeah, I think that is a, a really good point, right? The more products they put out, the more products there are to buy to support stores, which is where people go and learn to play these games. It's where a lot of people get their in-person tutorials, right? Um, and it's where people go to play weekly games and to play organized play and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it is products like these that people can buy lots of, right? And that don't necessarily contribute to the bloat of the game, which we know Wizards of the Coast is worried about, are, are really a great thing, I think. What about you, Joe, what do you, would you like to see Wizards of the Coast put out to help you as a dungeon master? Well, what I'd like to see and what's reality are, are kind of two different questions, but uh, Listen, I, man, uh, the sky's the limit. Let's fantasize, right? We might as well. So, so back in, in the, in the uh, days of my favorite edition, 4th Ed, uh, Organized Play used to have maps and miniatures and uh, a bunch of additional products, little dice you could give out to players, like all sorts of things to help entice people to want to DM more. And that really helped our store increase our, our pool of DMs uh, because you could get cool stuff. And so people would want to DM because they had a chance to get some cool stuff. And I think, uh, 
I, I understand that you know the Adventures League right now is doing all they can with giving you uh, special DM rewards and and maybe uh, special magic items and things uh, to try and entice people to DM. But it's it's not the same as having a physical thing in your hand. And so that I think from a from a broader perspective, just getting people excited about DMing, uh, if they had a chance to get something for doing it, I think that would uh, potentially draw more people in. But the one thing I do want to say, I know I've, I've complained a lot about 5th edition in previous podcasts, but uh, the most recent uh, adventure book, which I don't even know if it's widely available. I know it's at the local gaming stores right now. But the Storm as King's of Thunder, today, I believe, Storm King's yes, Thunder, yeah. available as, everywhere. As of, as of the day that we're recording this, uh, yes. it'll be available everywhere. But uh, Storm King's Thund- Thunder has so many things in it that I've wanted in a D&D book uh, throughout this edition including my favorite part is on page 17 i think it is a flow chart of the entire campaign and what level you need to be at what area of the campaign and where all the options are and the the different like decision points so that if you're running something else and you want to bring your characters in here's a place you can do that here's the level you should be for that and it really just sort of gives you a broader uh, idea of what's going on where so you know where people should be spending their time or, wh- or what things they might skip or what, what things they might uh, want to do to get to the next section. And I really, really appreciate that. I really, I, I'm, I can't say enough about the Storm King's Thunder book. I think it's the best uh, adventure book they've put out so far uh, for 5th edition, but a lot of that is because of the tools in here uh, that make it easier for DMs to do what they need to do. Yeah, I think I think that is true, and it seems like maybe they were listening to some of the feedback, or maybe this was uh, just a a more well thought out adventure, or it could be because the adventure is so dense that they decided they needed some of these tools for this. But I love that flowchart that is in the beginning of that thing. Um, I think it is it is really really helpful. It's a, a great little tool, and I think more stuff like that within adventures will also help people buy them because then they'll be able to look at that chart and say okay i can pull this out right i could pull out this giant lord or this giant lair and drop it into my home game tonight and we can still play this adventure later on you know and i'll just remove that giant lord and the adventure is still the same right um you know which which is great to have because it makes gives your adventure sort of multiple purposes which is nice uh topher what about you man what tools would you like to see come out of wizards of the coast to help you dungeon master well i think there's multiple things i think that and not to you know say fourth edition was the greatest ever but the organized play or the encounters were the perfect dm entry point modules they were you could pick them up and everything was there for you to run that adventure for that evening you didn't need to have 25 books. Yeah, you needed a monster manual maybe or whatever. But I think that's the key. I think uh, you know part of this is rifting off that uh, Mike Merrill's tweet. And I read a lot of the other of his responses and things such as time, you know, prep time, that kind of stuff kept coming up and over again. And that's the thing I run into at the store I coordinate at that I, I struggle to get DMs. And when I ask why, it's, well, I don't have time to prep an adventure or to read and get everything going. And I think if there were more adventures put out by wizards that were easy for a dm to pick up spend an hour or so reading it and sit down and start playing start running it i think that would be fantastic (laughs) i think that was it one of the things we do at our store is we give players the chance to dm while the dm is playing so if they don't feel like they can do it they swap places for the night 
Huh. The DM DM sits down with them. They, they get them up to speed. What's going to happen for that for that session? And then they sit down and they play. And they DM while the player while the old DM isn't playing. And this way, if there's a question or something comes up, it's he's they're not left alone. They can have someone to go, hey, what should I do here? Kind of thing. And I think that works really well. I think besides that, I think that accessories are always welcome. You know, if I if I'm spending money on a book or or a module, which I think there should be more just plain flat paper covered modules. Let's be very clear about this. Uh, I would like also to have everything I need to play that module or that adventure in there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about all the monster stats. I'm not talking about that. But give me a sheet of pogs. Give me some some of the bit the more necessary areas or 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 locations as maps for me to put on the table. Give me a couple you know pictures to show as handouts to go, here's what the castle looks like, here's what this looks like. I think that will go a long way. And maybe make this a line of entry-level modules. Maybe you don't need to put a level 20 module out that does this. Because hopefully by that point your DM you know, is up and running. But make this a level 1 to 5, a couple modules that do level 1 to 5 that are set up this way. And so that's what I would do. That's gotcha. what I would like to see, as you say. Yeah, you know, there um there was a big call when when Mike Merles put out his tweet for a book of either encounters or lairs or that kind of thing. And obviously, Cobalt Press, I'll just shout them out again. Uh, they're not paying me or anything. I, I just really like their products. Uh, and they just put out the Book of Lairs, which is similar to the fourth edition book, Dungeon Delve, um, where they oh, had 30 yeah. small, like, you know, one-session dungeons, essentially, that you could complete in about four hours. And, uh, and they had little story hooks tied to them and advice for sort of taking it after book of layers also does that and uses a lot of the monsters from the tome of beasts um so they're kind of you know cross promotional products in that way it would be great to see something like that from wizards as well and you know they could have a chance then to sort of you know get all the minis in this dungeon right as a pack and the pack is however much money and it also comes with the cardboard version of them or or, or whatever um you know i think could be a, a really great opportunity for them. Uh, so while we're looking at this, right, obviously we know that stuff that shows up in these surveys and stuff that Mike Merles tweets about uh, eventually seem to make their way uh, to us in some form or another, right? Uh, and it does seem like they really listen to the feedback that they are getting. So... I'm going to go back to Neil Powell now. Neil, I want you to speculate. Uh, do you think this means we are going to, if people respond positively to the survey, and, and it seems like they are and, and they're requesting things, what do you think we will see? Like, what do you think the masses who are answering Mike Merles and who are going on and taking the official D&D survey, what do you think they are asking for that we will probably see sooner rather than later? Hmm. Oh, you know, pie in the sky stuff. Let's see. I think the most common one that could come out of it is the cardboard minis for like anything and everything. I mean, from kind of like the business perspective in my mind and what Watsy might want to do to print money. Um, (laughs) Because you could just make set after set after set. Magic cards. When when Watsy prints money, they're called magic cards. True. (laughs) That is true. It's going to be a miniature for every magic card. (laughs) Wizards, send me my money now. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But I think that's the that's one of the easiest ways to go. 
like, and I don't know that it would be packaged as much as I love that idea. I think mm-hmm. Topher, you were the one that mentioned it, almost getting like that old school box set where it's like, this is everything to play. While I think that's great, I think Wizards will keep it separate and do like a Storm King's Thunder pawn pack and then do one for the monster manual and probably three different ones for the monster manual. If theoretically they already have all the art assets, it would be adjusting them to that format. Um, so I think that would probably be the most likely direction they would go. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, a really good idea to make that kind of thing. And I think you're right. I think, you know, they're doing these surveys, obviously they are a company. They need to make money to continue making Dungeons and Dragons and to make Hasbro and shareholders and all that kind of stuff happy. Right. Um, so it, it makes perfect sense that, uh, that they're going to do that. And I, I, exactly. I think pie in the sky, Neil, is the right way to think about this question. Um, you know, it's, what would you like to see? What do you, we think other people would like to see right so allison i turn to you now uh what do you think we will see sooner rather than later maybe as a result of this survey and other feedback that wizards of the coast is getting so what allison would like to see and what allison (laughs) hopes wizards will do is more uh beginners adventures that are like published and like people can buy in a store so instead of buying this you know 200 page storm king sunder jump right into the gauntlet and figure out how to run it I'd like to see short little, um, you know, maybe three or four sessions where your players can get used to things at level one through four, um, almost like Adventures League, but actually something that people can buy in stores. Um, so that's one thing I'm, I'm really hoping that we might see. And then I'm also hoping for, again, like the little pog miniatures that are, you know, you pop them out of a thick piece of like cardboard type material and you can use them at your table. Um, I think they'd be perfect that you could, you know, spend a couple of dollars to get these extra miniatures that you can use for each uh, storyline. So perhaps a couple that are, you know, representing giants and whatever else is in Storm King's Thunder. Um, You know, Curse of Strahd, you could do vampires and skeletons and things. Um, So I think those would be perfect and, again, an easy way to just print money because Dungeon Masters like myself will buy those for sure. I think that's great. Certainly that kind of thing. Again, things that can be sold at stores are good for everybody. Uh, so, Joe, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I just I just wanted to ask you, Allison, and I, I think I'm of the same mind, but I wondered if you could speak a little more as to, I know that a lot of people will say, well, the DMs Guild has plenty of adventures available on it. Why can't they just buy the PDFs? Why do you think it's important that people buy it in the stores? So I think it's extremely important to support your local gaming stores. Generally, it is cheaper to buy these modules and things online. However, instead, I buy them in my comic shop that I DM at because I want to support them as a store. So I think while I do love the DMs Guild, it's really great for, you know, if I want to quickly jump on there and buy something or, you know, support someone I know on Twitter that put out something on the DMs Guild, I can do that. But most new players aren't going to know about that and they're not going to kind of just happen upon it. Um, But they're more likely to go in their local game store or comic shop or bookstore or whatever and say, hey, where's the D&D section? Okay, look, here's all these things for beginners and here's these giant books. I don't think I'm going to uh, bite off more than I can chew yet, but look, this says it's for levels one through five. I'll buy it at game shop, comic shop, whatever. So it's a, And it's also something physical that you can flip through in person before buying it. So that's, that's kind of how I see things. Actually publish it and put it out there for people to buy 
in their local shops. Nice. That would be awesome. How about you, Joe? What do you think uh, will be something that we see sooner rather than later as a result of feedback that uh, Wizards is getting? Well, I haven't heard the interview that you did with the Hero Labs person yet, but uh, I'm hoping <laughs> uh, more more digital tools for uh, character creation and for DM use uh, are somewhere on the horizon. Uh, in 4th edition, I really use those tools a lot. And it really made my DMing tasks a lot easier uh, because if I knew I needed a monster of X level, I could just limit the monster list to all these levels. And then I could say, okay, here's all the monsters within that level that uh, fit my needs. Um, so I think having a tool like that uh, also for, for character creation, now that we've got uh, several different uh, splat books, uh, several different books that have different character options in them, and I know with... Uh, the upcoming uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters in November is supposed to have uh, player character stats uh, options for uh, orcs and goblins and furbolgs at the very least. I think having all of that available in one place where if I'm doing a character creation session at my store, I can sit down with my laptop and say, okay, here's your options. Instead of saying, okay, here's the five books you need to flip through. Uh, that would be really helpful as well. So more digital options, please. Nice, nice. So from what we can buy in the store uh, to uh, to more digital options as well, I think, uh, uh, are, are really good. I am always pushing for digital options just so I don't have to lug stuff around. Um, and also for ease of use at the table, I think Neil's point about everything being connected really makes a huge, huge difference uh, instead of being like, now i got to go run, get this book off the shelf, flip to the index to find the thing that I'm looking for, and I'll just make it up, you know? Uh. <laughs> There's another, uh, and I don't know if, if Wizards will ever participate in this, but I know a lot of smaller gaming companies uh, participate in a program called Bits and Mortar uh, that we use at my at my store, where if you buy the physical hard copy of the book, uh, you can have a PDF of it emailed to you. So that way, if you want to have it on your, on your iPad or whatnot, uh, you have that option as well. I think uh, if Wizards were to go in that direction, I know they're very iffy about people copying PDFs and that sort of stuff, but uh, if they were to go in that direction, I think that would also be helpful to people that want to have more options uh, when they're DMing and don't have the muscles to carry around every book that's been published. Exactly, and still want to buy their books at the store, right? Um, exactly, you know, yeah. It's, it's the Hannah Montana, if you will, uh, the best of both worlds. Uh, Topher Cohen. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I, can I can't follow that, man. <laughs> what do you think we will, uh, we will see from Wizards as a result of this? I'm really disappointed in all of you. I'm going to make sure you know that, but when I say this, because it's blatantly obvious to me that what we're going to see is a new DM screen because they asked how many questions about what you did and didn't use on the DM screen. So they're going to print some cardboard with a bunch of charts on it and sell it to me again. And then they're going to make a new one for every adventure that comes out. Well, they're going to license somebody to make a new one for every adventure that comes out. But it's not going to come out till halfway through that adventure season. So, but that's going to happen. Gotcha. Well, yes, I do think that is correct there. And I wonder if that's because that's one of their actually most harshly criticized products is uh, their their current Dungeon Master screen. Uh, it does seem like that is definitely one of the things we are going to see first as a result if you look at the survey, which is maybe not the thing we necessarily need right now, right? A Dungeon Master screen is certainly a fun thing to have, but if you've already got the one that's out there, eh, 
it's good enough. It's actually got all the information that I like to have on the back of a Dungeon Master screen. And it's not like 4th edition where everything was just flat out wrong with it. So you had to, right. you know, <laughs> cover up your Dungeon Master screen with the proper uh, things by printing out the errata and then pasting it onto your screen. Uh, which hey, James, is- if I could actually... Um, piggyback on what Allison said, what I would love to have, whether it be the Pogs or whether it be the stand-up flat minis or whether it be actual plastic minis, if they want more people to DM and they want this to be easy, then on top of selling the random plastic minis, then sell me a box that says, here are the monsters, or uh, multiple boxes, right? Mm -hmm. Then here are the boxes, here are the monsters and or the NPCs in this adventure. Yeah. if yes. you go to a store and I'm going to do chapter one of Storm King, which is the one they've given away for free now, and now it's the one stores can use as their entry level, right? Sell me a box or two boxes or four boxes or a big box. I don't care the size that has all of the NBCs and all of the monsters I need for that adventure. And then sell me another one for chapter two and another one for chapter three and four and five and six and 12 and 100. I don't care how many there are. I don't care. Charge me 50 bucks a freaking box. Yeah, But make that so I can go into my local friendly gaming store and go, I'm running this tonight. Here's my money. Take this. And a smart gaming store, and Joe will back me on this, will give their DMs a righteous discount because they want them to DM there, which will draw players in there, which will make them spend more money. Yep. So Wizards, if you're listening, don't make them $50, please. I can't afford that. My wallet hurts already. <laughs> Charge <laughs> Toe for 50 and the rest yeah. of us not. Yes. Dover can buy them for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but you see my point is the fact that yeah, obviously make them a reasonable price point. Thank you, Alison, for pointing that that out. Uh, but I think that's the that's what I think most DMs after the adventure part, that's the part would make it as easy as possible to run. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to that point, I I blindly purchased the paper mini PDF for anything Paizo that I run. Like, I don't even know how much it is, $5, $10, whatever it costs, <laughs> because it's exactly the minis that I'm going to need to run that module. And that just makes it cooler. Like, using something else gets you by, but, like, to be the DM that, like, has every monster that he wants to use, that's a good feeling. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoy having everything that I'm putting in front of my players. Yeah, and from a DM perspective, I would rather have... Rather than like some awesome mini, uh, I'd rather have the paper thing and have it be the correct monster because I really want my players to see it. I can't tell you the number of times because I I bought so many of those random things back in the day that I'm using flame snakes when I actually need a warthog or something else, you know? Um, I'd much rather have a picture of a warthog on a flat circle uh, that I can push around and know that I'm going to get a warthog out of that box then use my awesome-looking flame snake one more time. Uh, Joe? Uh, I just wanted to say, when I first started DMing, uh, after I bought the second-ed uh, DM screen with its little Terrible Trouble at Tragedor adventure, um, the first adventure I bought was the box set for Dragon Mountain, and that had a metal, I think it was Ralph Partha put out, a metal miniature set with it, and I bought that as well. I didn't know anything about the adventure, I just, oh, here's the miniatures that go with it. Uh, and they were not as useful because there was less of a tactical uh, game at that point. But it was still, I didn't know anything about the the adventure, and I still saw it and I bought it, which I think shows what consumer mindsets can do when you see two products together and you're like, oh, here's the book, and then here's the miniatures. Why don't I get them both? Topher. So I think that there's two ways to look at it to take it a step further. 
you know, I'm a big fan of One Monk and his um, print and cut minis uh, to the point that I bought a, a craft cutter that, you know, with the right files, it cuts out them with all the details because I use them so much. You know, if I want 100 skeletons, do I really want to buy 100 plastic skeletons? I mean, yeah, eventually that'd be cool, but the paperwork is fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, I would I would pay money for licensed versions of those, like from Wizards of the Coast. You know, do what they're doing now with everything else and license somebody to make them for them and sell them. Now, how that's going to hurt a local friendly gaming store. So, my response would be then put the NPCs and the key monsters in as in in the book or the module or whatever for you to to basically take out and photocopy. And, and you know, cut out and use that way, so that you can then you know raise the price slightly of the product and sell it that way. But that that would be great. I would love that. That would be very cool. I mean, I do think there's all kinds of potential there. It does sound like people are saying, you know, minis, adventures. Those are the kinds of things that reduce prep and also help sort of immerse the players uh, in in what we are doing. Um, I would certainly love to see a lot more stuff like that. All right. I think then that is going to do it for this segment of the roundtable. Before we go, though, where can they find you, Topher Cohan, which I have Uh, been pronouncing your name wrong all night and I apologize for I've gotten used to it, man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You can find me on the Facebook at Topher Cohan. You can find me on the Twitters at at Topher ATL. It's T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Or on Facebook, it's T-O-P-H-E-R-K-O-H-A-N. And if you live in the metro Atlanta area every Wednesday night, I am at Titan Gaming Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, running their D&D Encounters program or their organized play, whatever we want to call it today. And if you're interested in that, don't hesitate to reach out to me, and I can point you to some people who either are there or elsewhere in Metro Atlanta to some great people running games all the time around here. Excellent, excellent. And definitely go check it out. Titans is a great place. Uh, So even if you're visiting Atlanta on a Wednesday, make sure you go stop by and you ask for Topher Cohan. All right, uh, Joe Listowski, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Listowski. I'm also on Facebook. Again, my name, because that's all Facebook will let me use. And uh, I am uh, in Western Massachusetts at uh, Modern Myths, Comics, and Games in Northampton. Um, Many nights running many different games. So stop by sometime, and we'll have some fun. Yes, I have never been there, Joe, but uh, the next time I am in Massachusetts, I do plan on making a trip to see you, because I think that would be really, really fun. Uh, and Neil Powell, where can people find you? Uh, shameless plug time. Uh, so since the last time I was on here, I was on the Dungeon Masters block, but we have turned into the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can hear such shows as GM Showcase, where the awesome any Award winner, James oh. Intercasso, uh, <laughs> runs our first game. Shameless plug <laughs> on to you, so have that. Um, so if you go to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com, you can check out all the shows there. Yes, check it out. Neil is amazing. Uh, And we had a blast uh, running that first GM showcase. Uh, And from what I hear, there is way, way more good things to come and way better GMs down the road that you're going to hear from. Uh, So I'm excited to check that out as well. And, of course, the one and only Allison Rossi. Allison, where can people find you? 
So the main place that you are going to find me is on Twitter because I am on Twitter all the time. So you can find me at charm underscore underscore person. Um, so that is definitely where you will find me most days to talk about D&D or Overwatch or whatever. Uh, I also am probably going to occasionally be st- streaming on Twitch. So you can find me at twitch.tv slash Eloana, E-H-L-O-A-N-N-A. Uh, otherwise, yeah, that's that's really where you're going to find me. I guess I could send a shout out to the shop that I, I DM at. So I DM at Victory Comics, which is in Falls Church, Virginia. So it's outside of D.C. Please don't come and try and join my table, though, because I generally have too many people to begin with. But you're welcome <laughs> to try and start your own table there because we do have a little bit of space. So <laughs> Victory Comics, super cool. Check and it out. is your is your Twitch name, Eloana, is that one of the th- third edition D&D goddesses. To to go (laughs) off of that, actually, yes and no. So the goddess's name is actually Alona, Mm, but how I got the name is I misread it and I thought it was Eloana, but I liked that way more than Alona, so I just stole it. And... (laughs) Yeah, that's where I got Eloana from. Nice, so, nice. Yes, nice catch, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what I, 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 I was like. I was, And then I was going to follow up with, I always thought it was pronounced Alona. This is blowing my mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I stole so, it. I stole it. I added an A. I made it my own. <laughs> well, that is, uh, that's super, super awesome. Uh, please, please check out Allison. You do want to, uh, if you follow one person on Twitter today, uh, you want it to be her because she has the funniest tweets. Uh, always makes me laugh right out loud every single day. <laughs> uh, so it is great to have you all here. Thank you for joining me on the roundtable. I am going to throw it over to myself right now who is, uh, has an interview uh, with some folks at Hero Lab. We're going to talk to uh, Cullen McAllister, uh, who is the lead developer, I believe, of Hero Lab. And we are also going to talk to the one and only Stephen T. Helt of the Four Horsemen. All right, everybody. Now I am here with the one and only Stephen T. Helt and... New to the roundtable, but certainly not new to the tabletop RPG industry, is Cullen McAllister. Guys, welcome to the roundtable. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Hey, it's great to be here. Hey, thank you, Cullen. All right, guys. Well, uh, we are going to kick it off. We're talking today about a really exciting Hero Lab announcement. This announcement has to do with Pathfinder, uh, which is one of the world's greatest role-playing games, one of the world's most popular role-playing games. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what this uh, this deal with Paizo, who makes Pathfinder, is all about. Uh, Colin, can you explain it for us? Absolutely. So we've been expanding uh, the GM capabilities of Hero Lab uh, for years. Um, so originally, we just supported player uh, player character creation stuff, but we added NPC creation. We added things like the tactical console to allow you to run combats. There's the encounter builder to allow you to uh, to build encounters using monsters from the Beast Theory and other books. And uh, last year, we added the encounter library, and we started distributing packages for uh, adventure paths. So you could buy that for the the Strange Eons adventure path, for example, have access to all of the encounters within, within that adventure path, so that when you GM them, you could use all that stuff within Hero Lab without having to build the encounters yourself or or, or spend, any, spend any more time beyond reading up on how it was meant to work in the book. What we're doing now is we're now starting to extend that to Pathfinder modules also. Uh, so last month we released the uh, Emerald Spire module for the Encounter Library. This month we have six uh, more modules 
um, for the Encounter library, and you can purchase any of those for your Hero Lab license. You get access to all the encounters for the module, so you can bring those into Hero Lab with just one click, uh, use them in the tactical console, um, manage them just like you can any other encounter, uh, and then you also get access to any monsters you need for those encounters. Gotcha. So for people who are unfamiliar, um, Hero Lab, I think in most people's minds is like, oh, it's a character builder. Uh, but it's a lot more than that. And that's really where this deal comes into play. Can you talk a little bit about how Hero Lab will help you out uh, if you plan to run one of these modules? Absolutely. So we always say that Hero Lab is character management software for players and GMs because players will get a lot of use out of it for just, you know, needing to build their characters, choosing selections from all the different books that are available and so on. But GMs can also get a lot out of it because GMs also have those same problems, right? As a player, your problem is, you know, which feats do I take from the, the you know, the five Pathfinder hardback books that I have. But as a GM, you have, you know, the five Beasteries, uh, there's the upcoming Beastery 6 that is, I think Paizo's coming out with uh, early next year. Uh, plus there's everything from um, all the adventure paths, all the Pathfinder campaign setting books, uh, as well as just character management. Hero Lab is ideally positioned to offer GM capabilities as well. Uh, and those are things like building NPCs within Hero Lab, just like you can build characters. We have hundreds of stock NPCs also. Uh, so for example, all of the NPCs from the NPC codex are included for free. When I was GMing a Pathfinder, those would be my, my go-to NPCs for adventures. Uh, if I needed, you know, a high level you know sorcerer or a high level fighter or something i'd grab those and start from there and then remove some stuff and then maybe tweak some things and make them more uh, appropriate to the adventure as well as uh, all of the NPCs, we also have monsters. So all those monsters from the Beast series, those are hundreds and hundreds of monsters. Um, and then when you add the campaign setting book, uh, third-party content like the Tome of Horrors from Frog God Games, I think we have over 5,000 monsters in Hero Lab, monsters and NPCs in Hero Lab right now. Uh, and so we try to make it as easy as possible for you as a GM to figure out which ones you want to use. So you can search by a challenge rating, uh, you can look for specific uh, text within the stat block of the monster once you've picked the monsters uh, that you uh, that you want uh, you can then bring them into hero lab just like any other character track any resources that they have so for example abilities that they can only use a certain number of times uh, you can easily look through their uh, their special abilities we can consolidate those all in one place for you um, and then keep track of their hit points their initiative uh, all of that stuff just like a player would do except you're a gm you're doing it for you're doing it and you're doing it for a monster within the within the tool yeah, so it's it is so so much more than I think what a lot of us think about as a, a character builder, which is amazing. And then it's awesome that you have this deal with modules where it, it's like minimal minimal prep needed, right? Uh, which is amazing. Uh, and and a thing that I look for as a a GM who's also like busy and has life and stuff uh, that I need to schedule around and and schedule my game prep around. So this is really awesome that you've got a bunch of adventures that are coming out made by Paizo. Um, Steven, you have written some of these adventures that we are going to see. Why don't we talk first a little bit about your adventure, The Tears at Bitter Manor, which is uh, one of my favorite adventures. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and what people can sort of expect if they've never played through it before. Well, that's really nice of you to say it first. Thank you very much. Uh, Tears of Inner Manor is the adventure proposal with which I won Superstar uh, in 2013. Um, so first off, you know, big thanks to Paizo for that contest. I'm loyal to it. I love to participate every year and 
uh, will judge or participate any way they want uh, every time. Tears of Bitter Manor is uh, a kind of a horror investigative story, at least that's how it starts, where uh, a retired group of adventurers who are on in years and don't feel like, can, they feel like they can handle everything that they used to, uh, they meet once a year for one final adventure or at least to celebrate old times and talk about past fallen heroes and that sort of thing. And uh, this year, they were under preparations for their meeting again, but one person is infirm and is, you know, a couple hours away at this tiny rest home and, and out of communication. And the other person has gone completely missing. Uh, the kind of the person who throws the meeting together every year and insists that they get together. So it's very unusual that they've lost contact with them. So being older and uh, kind of just there for vacation, they ask the party to go uh, investigate what's happened to their fallen old friend uh, and what's happened to the guy who's missing. And over the course of the adventure, you uh, learn that the old friend has uh, apparently been kidnapped and been taken away to uh, this old, old manor house uh, northwest of Casimir. And in this old manor house, there's all kinds of horrors and disasters, and, and it's really a trap waiting for the PCs to get there. It's an investigative adventure that turns kind of dark and horror-oriented very quickly. Nice, which is uh, super great. I love a Stephen Helt horror adventure, uh, if I may say. Oh. Um, so, and now that's one of the adventures that uh, that you will be able to get uh, and have everything ready to go in Hero Lab. Uh, we also have from you, Stephen, uh, uh, another adventure that you helped write. Do you want to talk about that a little bit as well? Oh well, sure. Uh, Plunder and Peril was an adventure uh, written. It was kind of a neat experiment from Paizo. I hope to do it again soon. Uh, where they put together a collaborative effort. So what they wanted out of the adventure uh, is three smaller adventures that can be run on their own or can be run as a series from beginning to end. You know, it's kind of a larger adventure. And so they asked three different uh, designers to collaborate on the three smaller adventures and make sure that we can get the, the party from point A to point B in each adventure, you know, successively. Or that you can just run it by, you know, run them standalone. So I got the climax of that adventure. Uh, it's called uh, Black Coral Cove uh, inside Plunder and Peril. So if you go, you get Plunder and Peril. You get kind of three consecutive pirate adventures of increasing levels uh, that could be connected or don't have to be. Uh, at the Pinnacle, the PCs have been betrayed uh, and kind of marooned on an island. So if you ever want to start an adventure marooned on the island and have, uh, have an adventure go after that point, it's a great adventure for that. Uh, they proceed towards uh, this place called Black Hole Cove they don't know much about, uh, and there it takes a uh, horrible dark turn uh, where a missing pirate ship and uh, uh, a growing menace that is kind of growing undisturbed out in the wild where nobody knows. Bad for pirates going looking for treasure. Uh, and it's a, it, it becomes kind of a dark, spooky surprise. Uh, it's a turn of events that probably the PCs didn't expect when they signed on to go find this treasure to start with. I'm noticing a series of horrible dark turns in your work, Stephen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which are the best so. kind of turns? You join an outfit called the Four Horsemen. They kind of demand a scary twist. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and they are done uh, so so well. So, Colin, let's talk then a little bit about how Hero Lab interacts with some other stuff. So, the uh, Lone Wolf has another um, software called Realmworks, which is also a really great campaign management software. 
Um, does uh, Hero Labs functionality kind of interact with Realmworks? And if you are using the encounter tool, uh, you know, to, to sort of track your encounters and stuff in one of these adventures, can you then also use Realmworks to help you track the campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the cool ways that the Realmworks uh, interacts with Hero Lab, l let's say that you're you want to use one of these pi one of these uh, adventures like Tears of Better Manor or Plunder and Pearl, but you want to kind of slot it into your existing campaign. So let's say um, a Plunder and Pearl has these three sub adventures into it. Let's say that you decide, okay, this this one chunk of it, this the the last third of that, that would be ideal for putting into my campaign. But uh, in in my campaign, the I, I need to slot in some encounters from. Uh, I don't know, I'm going to make up uh, sea unicorns. Sea unicorns are the bad guys. Uh, and I'm going to make some <laughs> sea unicorn encounters and, and swap those in from um, and swap those in for a couple of the encounters in Plunder and Pearl. I what you can do... Uh, I'm sorry? I said I can make that scary. Sea unicorns sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Kelpies or something. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so you have uh, the encounters in Hero Lab uh, for Plunder and Pearl. Uh, those encounters will also be available within Realmworks at some point once the content market is released. Um, mm -hmm. But then you have your own content that's within Realmworks for, you, for your new encounters. Once you get to the point where you're ready to, to start that combat, it's just a press of a one button within Realmworks to send whatever NPCs you've created over to Hero Lab. So you can build your NPCs in Hero Lab, save them uh, into Realmworks, and then when you're ready to use them, just send them across and start a combat with them with just a couple clicks. So it's just like the uh, the, the new encounter library content for uh, for these modules is you have the official stuff in your uh, your encounter library. You can pull out those encounters. You've got the encounter builder in Hero Lab where you can customize them. You can you know pull in new monsters, uh, or you can uh, build your own stuff in Realmworks. Uh, create the create uh, variants or new content in Hero Lab, save that into Realmworks, and then bring that into Hero Lab whenever you're ready to, to have that encounter. Which is wonderful, because we all know from running published adventures that there will come a point where your players will journey somewhere or do something that the, uh, you know, it, it's impossible to prepare for every option, right, in a, in a published adventure. Uh, so it's great to have that functionality where you can sort of edit and swap out and make something your own in that way as well. Uh, I love that. I love that feature of Realmworks and of Hero Lab. So uh, that is amazing. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about price. What can players expect to pay for one of these modules? So in Hero Lab, it depends on the module. Um, the, the big ones, like the Emerald Spire, I think that's like a 250 or 300 page book or something. Uh, that one's $14.99. Uh, but other adventures, like a Carrion Hill, for example, it's only $5.99. So it really depends on the size of the adventure. Um, we've got a couple of price points. Most of them are $5.99 or $8.99. Uh, and that's usually, that's only a, a few cents per encounter. So when you think about a lot of these encounters, like the, the climactic encounter to Plunder and Pearl, for example, uh, has a, uh, a creature from... Um, that's a creature that's specially defined in created just in, in that book. It doesn't appear in any other products, I believe, um, as well as an NPC who has a certain magic item. It would probably take you, just because those are complicated characters, complicated NPCs, it'd take you a while just to enter those into Hero Lab. Um, but with the encounter, uh, with the, the modules that you buy in the encounter library, those are just all previously created and available for you. And so all you need to do is familiarize yourself with the with the encounter in the book and you're ready to run it. Wow. 
that's awesome. That's really, really good pricing too. Uh, so uh, kudos to you guys and kudos to Paizo for, for making that. That's like, a, hey, I've already got the adventure and this will make it easier to run. It's not like you have to pay you know twice the price of a, an enormous adventure that maybe you've already gotten hardback or something. Um, which Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's really, really awesome. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's amazing, and listeners out there will be uh, will be really excited to know that. And let's talk just a little bit from the player side, uh, just for those out there who don't know. Um, what do players get out of softwares like Hero Lab and Realmworks? So for players, uh, in uh, Realmworks, we have Realmworks Player Edition, which allows a player to connect to a GM's realm. The GM can then uh, reveal content uh, to the player, and you can see that um, within uh, your copy of Realmworks. So in, instead of kind of paging through your notes before the game, you, then hoping you got everything done correctly, you can go to the, uh, you can just load up Realmworks Player Edition, uh, connect to the GM's realm, and see uh, all of the content that they've that they've revealed for you uh, in Hero Lab. So as well as just creating your character, um, including content from Advanced Players Guide, Advanced Class Guide, new feats, classes, and archetypes, and so on. We also now that we have the content from these adventures in Hero Lab, uh, we have. Have, uh, we've made a lot of that content available for players too. So as you go through uh, tiers at Bitter Manor, for example, uh, there are, I believe there are a number of magic items um, that are uh, cre- that were created for that book that you can that you can find. And those magic items are already in Hero Lab. So if you if you find one during the game, um, then you can just add that magic item to your character within Hero Lab, uh, and that's just available for you. Um, same with you know new feats, new spells, any other new new content that's provided. That's really, really great. Uh, Steven, have you used uh, Hero Lab and Realmworks at all when you run your stuff at home? I haven't had much of a chance to use Realmworks. I use Hero Lab. Actually, uh, we were, it's funny, you know, just before we started recording, we were talking about how Gen Con has always work. Uh, and so uh, my use of Hero Lab extends to work and not being able to play in my home game. Uh, but <laughs> we, I use it to create uh, the, the player characters for the Four Horsemen Open. Uh, nice. So that we have kind of a, a, a Pathfinder team tournament, uh, you know, using Pathfinder characters and rules. And I use Hero Lab to create the characters for that. And uh, you know, uh, Hero Lab is is obviously better if you understand the rules in the system. For example, some optional things like slashing grace that may not calculate slashing grace into the damage score because you know Pathfinder's rules are use strength for damage instead of dexterity. Uh, but it definitely knows the feats if you have the books, so you've got all that stuff there. So if you know the game really well, it's a fantastic and very fast tool for creating the character. Uh, so, uh, you know, we use those because we get in a hurry. You know, there's a lot of crunch time before the convention season starts. And and uh, so I, my use for Hero Lab is mostly about making characters, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just old school about it. From the beginning, Hero Lab was a great way to make them quickly if you don't have a lot of time, and uh, I've always loved Hero Lab for that. That's awesome. And how about you, Cullen? Are you using Hero Lab and Realmworks at home? So I use Realmworks to build the adventure uh, that I run for for my players, and then I used Hero Lab to create uh, the encounters because it's a lot more convenient to look through the encounter builder and be able to search by challenge rating, by you know theme of the monster, and it helped me get a lot more varied creatures with more interesting abilities into the encounters with the players. Plus, just ones from the the Tome of Horrors, uh, Tome of Horrors Complete, Tome of Horrors Four that I wouldn't have considered uh, because I wasn't aware I wasn't aware of them. Um, that was a lot easier to to include those in my games once I had once they were all into Hero Labs and. Encounters. Builder. Excellent. 
Well, uh, is there anything else I should ask you about before we go, gentlemen? Uh, you can ask me for it to get Hero Lab, and I would reply. Oh, uh, you yes, get it at uh, www.getherolab.com. Uh, we have a free demo. Uh, you can try out the character and NPC creation for free. Uh, you can also uh, use the encounter library with the Weeby Goblins uh, adventure and see how it works if you're a GM who's looking to, to take a look at that. Excellent. That's awesome. And Stephen, where can people find you and all the amazing things you do? Uh, the best place to find us and get information are uh, our, those three really. There's our website of fourhorsemanofficial.com. There's our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash fourhorsemanofficial, uh, where we give updates and, and uh, news and then just come sometimes kind of crash a joke. Uh, and then uh, the Four Horsemen blog is moved to drivethroughrpg.com. We're hosted by uh, Scott and his gang there and uh, getting a lot of support and a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, we're very excited to be partnered with them in the future. So go to go look for the logo in the left-hand margin for the Four Horsemen blog at drivethroughrpg.com, uh, and then check out what we're up to and get our advice and uh, new rules and mechanics for uh, different themes every month. That's excellent, and we will link all the places you can find uh, this great stuff and stuff about the Four Horsemen and stuff about Lone Wolf's Hero Lab and Realmworks over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today. It's always a great time, James. Thanks for having me. Thank you for inviting me. And before we go, it's time for me to do our DM's Guild pick of the episode. This week's pick is the adventure Fear the Dark from the one and only Carl Reschke. Uh, Carl is a great game designer, and he has also been a panelist on The Roundtable. He is a great dude, really knows his stuff. Uh, his adventure is a great one. It retails for $2.99, less than 3 bucks. You get a really awesome adventure from a really awesome designer. Here's the description. Two ten days ago, Zentarum agents were to transport a shipment of rare potions between their Underdark outpost and the surface world. The shipment has yet to arrive, and the outpost is not responding to any sending spells. Going worried, the outpost overseer sends a group of higher swords to investigate and return it to Zentarum hands. Fear the Dark is a four-hour dungeon delve centered around the Rage of Demons storyline. This particular adventure deals with the illusions of madness of Fraz Erblu. Fear the Dark is a great adventure from Carl Resch for $2.99 from the Dungeon Masters Guild. There is a direct link to this product over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank my panelists for being on the show. I'm talking about Joe, Topher, Allison, and Neil. And I'd also like to thank my guests, Cullen and Steve. All right, people, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there, and I'm putting out a lot of stuff that you can add into Storm King's Thunder right now. In fact, I'm even designing a new giant lord and a lair to go along with it so you're going to want to check that out totally free worldbuilderblog.me all right everybody thanks for listening special thanks to jeff griner for letting us join the tome show lineup 
Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.